Hello everyone, welcome to the happiest pod on earth. I'm Ariel, I'm a licensed therapist who uses clients' passions and fandoms to help them grow and heal from trauma and mental illness. And I'm Steph, and I'm an educator who uses passions and fandoms to help my students grow and learn about themselves and the world around them. And I'm Jessica, also known as Tremaine Talk. I am a TikToker, Instagrammer, and former Disney performer for several years. And at Happiest Pod, it's a place where we dissect Disney mediums with a critical lens. Why do we do that? Because just like we're more than just fans, we expect more from the mediums we consume. So everybody, what are we discussing today? Well, we have a special guest. He's so special. (laughs) Thank you, Jessica, for joining us today. What an honor it is to have you. And thank you for taking the time. And um, we are so excited to hopefully pick your brain a little bit about your experiences. And, you know, um, just another side of Disney that we personally do not have any idea about. So... (laughs) Yes, yes. Okay, so for our audience members, um, as uh, Jessica mentioned, she is a TikToker. She is also a former um, uh, face character at Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. She's also an actress and dancer for Universal Orlando Resort and was a character performer even at SeaWorld in Orlando. Um, So she's going to share with us uh, what it's like to be a a character at the parks and um, some of the do's and don'ts in regards to character interaction awesome so starting off um the character you played was lady tremaine who uh for some of our audience members in our villains episode we talked about uh lady tremaine's a very scary villain because she's a realistic villain like i i could see me walking up and actually um interacting with somebody who has a very similar tendencies did you mean uh to be a disney villain and specifically her how does that sort of process go No. um, Essentially, the audition process is very generic. It's what us in the entertainment industry would call a cattle call. So you go, there's hundreds and if not thousands of people at one audition, and they're looking for kind of everything or they're not specific about what they're looking for. Um, And Disney is very good about being very ambiguous with what they're asking for. So, So I went to a general audition, so I was not setting out to be a villain, I didn't even know that like I kind of fit that type. <laughs> I guess that's something you don't really think about. Like, which one <laughs> do my features represent? I would now it got me thinking. <laughs> well, and even like that word, like type. Like, how did they they present to you? Like, hey, we think this is who you fit the best, or what you should be doing. Well, I found out over the course of not only my audition process, but my callback process, which is what they call a face fitting. Um, essentially, I am, you, you haven't seen me in person, but I'm five foot 10. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty tall. Um, they had me measured a little bit shorter so I could do more uh, fur characters, which we can talk about later. But um, so I'm very tall. Um, I have a very long face with a lot of angles. So I have very strong jawline, very narrow cheeks. And I also have just like very long features. Um, They were very particular about my eyes. My eyes are very large in relation to the rest of my features. Um, And they... um, really noticed me in the audition based on my facial expressions. I have very extreme facial expressions, just naturally talking, not even when I'm really turning it on. So um, Mm -hmm. that was kind of what I found out later was what they were looking at. Oh, interesting. 
I, I, I'm like, I'm hearing you describe your, your facial features and how detailed it is. And I'm, I'm, I don't even think I could describe myself <laughs> in such detail. Uh, does it, I mean, I guess that's part of being an actress. Like you have to kind of be able to really describe yourself and be able to understand what, what you might fit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I will say that a lot of it comes from, I mean, you're a therapist. It comes from a place of being criticized. So one of the most criticized industries is the entertainment industry. You know, I wasn't just an actress. I was also a dancer. So I spent my entire life being told you're too tall or you're not thin enough or your proportions aren't right. You know, although said in polite ways are not really great to hear, but it yeah. resonates with you when you've heard it for so many years. So it's easy for you to point it out. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that's really uh, interesting to note that you have to sort of pivot your mind around what criticism is going to be because mm -hmm. you're stepping into a profession where it it is part of the profession. There's no real like gentle way Going to say things. It. Yeah. Um, and I can yeah. see that uh, being a level of self-awareness, but also so like, do you feel like you have to have like a tough skin to be able to enter entertainment? Yeah. And actually, it it actually has helped with now being on social media. But when you mm -hmm. especially are a villain, you are heckled from the moment you walk out onto set until the uh, moment you walk back. For sure. And and it would happen to my face. Like I'm, I've told this story on my TikTok where a dad told me I was a size four at the time and I'm 5'10", so it's pretty tiny. So mm -hmm. I, um, I was a size four and a dad told me that I was fat and ugly. Um, to my face in front of his wow. wife and children and um, a hashtag came out of it on a video that trended for a while uh, called Cinderella is Savage uh, because my friend was that. Cinderella. Yeah. My friend was Cinderella for at the time and I told her and she went over and said something to him and I don't know what she said to him but he came over and apologized to me. Uh, so uh. I don't know what she said. <laughs> She said something. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so yeah. in order to cope, you have mm -hmm. to either disassociate or something like almost have like an out of body experience, because um, if you don't, you'll you'll go crazy. I mean, it seems like you use that as a strength for yeah. you. I mean, and that carries in your social media, because I mean, a lot of your followers do say, you know, you're really brave for speaking up and speaking out on behalf of cast members. And I think mm -hmm. that's the most I mean, you could say that for any profession, but especially in a profession where you're being scrutinized from every single angle, to be honest like that. I mean, I really appreciate it. I know all your followers do. And mm -hmm. I mean, did that did those stories inspire you to share your experiences as a cast member just to kind of get it out in the open? Or what really was the spark to say, hey, I'm going to just give a little bit of truth to this? Yeah, make it really public because a yeah. lot of the things that you have shared on your TikTok, they were like shocking to me. But then it made mm -hmm. sense like, okay, you're public you're in the public. I should have I shouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Yet I am shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I actually started to share my story on accident. So I, I created my TikTok. Honestly, uh, I had a friend of mine who wanted to send me videos and she was like, oh, I can just send them through the app easier. So I wasn't really making content. Um, and so I did end up making uh, my first real video um, back in 
like April 29th of last year. So it's fairly recent um, where I told the story about my first time going viral as a character. So I was the character that went viral on YouTube to the tune of like 18 or 19 million views. Um, And that was several years ago. Uh, So a long time ago, but um, I essentially talked about that interaction. Um, And from there, it sparked like that went viral in a matter of two or three days. And um, I all of a sudden had all these questions that I didn't know anybody ever wanted answers to. Um, And so I just started answering them. (laughs) I know it's silly, but I just (laughs) I just started answering them. And then as I kind of went through, um, I was able to process things that had happened to me that were really, really damaging in a way that my therapist hadn't really been able to walk me through them because he just didn't really, it's not that he wasn't able to understand because he was doing his best, but he had never been in that position. So the coping strategies are not, they don't fit in with a lot of other uh, issues that people would have. Like unless you have experience treating people who are in the entertainment industry, it's very hard to understand. No, I I think that's important that you point that out. Um, I work with a lot of actors because I I am here in Los Angeles and a lot of the boundary setting techniques we have to go over aren't ones they can use. Um, There's a, a certain level of expectation in regards to professionalism and performance that is very different than um, just traditional customer service because your 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 name and your ability to present whatever the brand is that you're presenting is your resume is your docket and um, particularly for for women or female presenting um, uh, individuals there's even more scrutiny because if you're considered hard to work with that becomes your label yeah you're x'd out yeah mm-hmm. and I mean, I've worked in schools that are a little more affluent here in L.A. So I work with a lot of parents who are in the industry, whether it's, you know, script writers or actors, actresses themselves. And this whole kind of the switch being turned on all the time Mm kind of carries into their real life and to their kids. So it's very interesting to see, you know, just the world that, you know, they build around themselves and, Mm -hmm. you know, having dealing with that in real life and kind of like learning how to draw those boundaries to, you know, protect their mental health. So, and, and you mentioned like sometimes needing to dissociate, it's like really like, when is my mask get to take off? Like, when Mm -hmm. do I actually get to take it off? And I would say that it seems like at least for your responses to the questions and the videos that you've made, you've been able to uh, be very authentic and genuine, probably in a way that is, um, is different, uh, than trying to, um, remember and process, like going backwards and then actually having answers now, yeah. very different. <laughs> well, that, but also um, when you're in it, when you're doing it, like there were weeks where I'd work like a 60 or 70 hour week <gasps> as the same character. So as Lady Tremaine, mm-hmm. so think now, granted, we have offset time, we have breaks, but you know, you're still in the wig and makeup, you're still you know, largely on because it's all improvised. I I try to explain it to people. It's like you are method acting for 70 hours a week for years at a time. And I say that because when you are doing a script for a movie, 
because mm-hmm. I've done I've done you know some indie film stuff. I've done commercials mm-hmm. like local stuff. Mm-hmm. I've done small things, but you're and I've done a lot of musical theater. When you're performing a script and you step into that character, there is a time where you are no longer that character for the night mm-hmm. because you are mm-hmm. following a script. But when you are improvising as a character and you're not sure what people are going to ask you, what they're going to want to talk to you about, mm-hmm. you have to cross that method boundary to becoming that character and if you are and i found that i was having a hard time after i finally left the company like fully letting her go if that makes sense and and i i came to find out through the process of doing my TikTok that i i had let her go but i hadn't like really processed what i put myself through in order to cope if that had made any sense Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, I um I think that um it really makes me think of uh, like this is nerdy, uh, but like D and D bleed, <laughs> where you where you have some of your character become you mm-hmm. or some of you become your character, and finding where the the distinction and the end is is very difficult because it's so now integrated in part of your daily experience. And even with that, like you said, there's at least you know there's going to be an end to the game for you, like you have this part of your job is how you have to make money and um the scrutiny that that you've mentioned in in your videos of if someone thinks you did it wrong even though you're the one playing the character yeah and it happens there's um you're regularly observed by performance specialists um and you are never told ahead of time when that's going to happen so you'll just be out on set one day and they're there with their little notebook yeah can you that reminds yeah can you tell like who they are oh yeah they're the same people over and over again but at the same time you see them out of the corner of your eye and you're supposed to ignore them but it's impossible that reminds you of a lot of teacher observations where like your administration would just pop into your classroom at like the absolute worst time and you're just trying to like keep it together and make sure no one's like stabbing each other hurting each other um but also uh i was thinking about when you mentioned all of the questions that you may or may not get you have no idea where this is coming from or you have no idea like what's in uh like a guest mind and i could really relate because it's like when kids ask me questions about something i'm trying to teach i don't know what they're gonna say what's gonna come <laughs> out of their mouth so have you gotten a very interesting question or a very just left field question that sticks out in your mind that you were just like hmm interesting uh okay <laughs> so um the weirdest one actually was asked of me but it was not about me so i was lady tremaine and i got asked a question because somebody got the a kid got me mixed up with the queen from snow white um we in disney we call her the snow queen that is not her name that's just what we call her but her name is just the queen so somebody like their wires were crossed and so they looked at me and they're just like i thought you died at the end and I'm like, and then, and then I said, I said something to that. Oh, you must be mistaken. It, it, it certainly wasn't me. And then um, they were like, no, you were that old lady who fell off the cliff and died at the end. I saw it and like yelled at me. Oh, and, no. But they, right. So like, a, like ca- taking me to task that I was dead. Um, 
but uh, and I do know from people who have played that character that that is a very common thing for people to say um i have played the hag version of that character which is a a fur character costume but nobody ever because she doesn't talk so like Mm -hmm. nobody ever asked me that (laughs) she kind of just hobbles along (laughs) (laughs) uh they were this child was very aggressively asking like or not asking, yelling at me. You died at the end, didn't you? Like I was on cross examination, like on the stand. Put the light on you. Right. I was being interrogated by the FBI. You died at the end. Seems it. Seems it. Exactly. So that's like the weirdest one I've ever been asked. Because like, what do you say to that? <laughs> yes, child, you are right. I am deceased. <laughs> But I I am am here talking to you now. I'm dead, but I didn't actually die. Yeah. (laughs) In the multiverse of Lady (laughs) Tremaine. People think that Lady Tremaine actually dies at the end, but she obviously doesn't. But it's just because they get the movies mixed up. That's very common. Yeah, sure. Um, Like they get Lady Tremaine and Maleficent mixed up all the time. Just for some audience members who don't know, what is the difference between like a a face character, a cast member, and then a fur character. So cast member is like the general term for anybody who works at the Disney parks um, Mm -hmm. or works really for the Walt Disney Company. I think it technically encompasses all of them. But um, a fur character performer or just a character performer is somebody who performs in fur character costumes. So you're thinking of like Mickey, Minnie, Pluto, and the like. Um, And a face character is within the character performer family. So everybody who's a face character is also a fur character, but not every fur character is a face character. That makes sense. Like all rectangles or squares or rectangles kind of thing. Um, So (laughs) that was a very specific example. No, I got it right away. I was like, yes. (laughs) Uh, You're you're an educator. You get it. So, um, so, um, face characters is like a specialized trained role within the character department. Okay. Okay. And what sort of like training do you go through? So you go through your standard character training. This is a for character training. It's a five day training. Um, you know, how to animate quote unquote, the costume. So how to move in it, how to sign your autographs, um, things like that, essentially how to move your character's eye focus, make sure your character's eyes are looking at the camera, things like that. Um, and then um, the face character training is an additional week. So an additional five days um, where the first day or two you are watching the movie, you are working indoors with your trainer, again, learning the signature, learning the makeup, learning all of the things that go along with that. And then days three through five are in park meet and greets. So you are put out into the park and you are doing meet and greets uh, with guests and your trainer is there watching, taking notes and you are getting feedback after every set. Yeah, I mean, that's all stuff. I'm like just trying to process. I'm like, okay, in my brain, like drawing this chart of like the family and you know, the the different types of cast members. Um, I was uh, really intrigued by your Disney College program videos. Um, I applied and did not get in because um, I want wah. Um, I think it was because when they asked, like, have you ever lied or something like that? I honestly said, yes, of course I've lied before. And they were like, I'm sorry, you don't fit the mold of what we're looking for at Disney. And I'm like, all right, so there's that. Um, and 
I was just so curious to hear you talk about how it's kind of like it's kind of like an apprenticeship that people are severely underpaid for and that they are basically thrown to the wolves and it's like having your first job but on this grand scale at the Disney resorts in Orlando so there's like millions of different jobs you can have and it's basically and it makes sense a way to capitalize on that labor but keeping costs down so thinking about all of that and thinking about the way that I guess labor is moving now because mm-hmm. I, you know there's lots of of course unionizing and all that stuff but also for um young kids and youth who are starting in the workforce they're pushing for a lot more um opportunities and fair opportunities for them so yeah. Yeah. in your opinion do you think that might change in the next couple of years because they are trying to get people back into the park and keeping up appearances and things like that or do you think it's just going to kind of stay the same Um, I think it's going to stay the same as long as the college program is as competitive to get into as it is. Um, Now, when I applied for the college program, it was not as competitive to get in um, as a general college program. To get into entertainment, yes, it's just as competitive. But back then, like 2009 was when I applied and I got in Mm -hmm. January 2010, much less competitive. Um, So that that was that. Um, as far as in conditions improving within the college program, I really don't see that happening because um, there is still going to be a steady stream of kids, young people who want to do a college program, regardless of all of that. I mean, I always like when I talk to some of my middle schoolers and these are like the oldest kids that I deal with and (laughs) I love giving them options because you know you don't always have to go the traditional like be a teacher be a doctor all these routes I'm like there's so Mm -hmm. many different jobs out there it's just what are you willing to put up with Mm -hmm. having worked so many jobs and I and of course like working for Disney like that's such a like big dream and you know they can't even like imagine working for like you know such a big company like that so I always try to keep it real with them and say hey you know you're gonna go through the same bs essentially wherever you go it just depends on you know your willingness to put up with that in order to achieve whatever you want to achieve so I think um yeah I mean your experiences would you say majority was it like worth it (laughs) I actually just did a video about this I I I really do believe that it was worth everything that I went through. Um, mm-hmm. I just was recently speaking with someone about it. Honestly, it set me up for so many opportunities that I otherwise would never have had. And it really gave me a lot to teach um, my students because I'm still a dance teacher. I still mm-hmm. work with mm-hmm. students. Um, so honestly, it really set me up with a lot of real world advice that I could give to them and, and really, a a lot of stories like I can't tell you how many times I get DMs from people who are saying like I've always wanted to be a Disney performer and they're like you're making me have second thoughts and I always encourage them if they really want to do it to still do it Um, the purpose of what I do and my content is to share the realities because I think what was the most harmful for me and a lot of other face characters who are on TikTok is that we were sold a a fantasy, which is what Mm -hmm. Disney does. We were sold a fantasy as a job. 
instead of these are the problems that you will face this is what you're mm-hmm. actually getting into so that is that is what i see my space in the world as with the training that you received cuz it it just seems like like 5 to 10 days just doesn't seem like enough is do they talk about you know how to address interactions with the um community that aren't favorable or what you have a um like what rights you have as a cast member can i ask a clarifying question of course so do you mean within like interacting with guests or interacting with other cast members Mm, with guests okay yes they do go over things like that um that is a part of your training that you're doing behind the scenes with with those those trainers um a lot of times they will say things like okay what would you do if a guest came up and tried to touch you okay and they'll give you an example so i've had it happen a lot to me uh, where a lot of male guests have have assaulted me in in different ways. Um, the problem is is that it happens so fast that a lot of times you cannot control. It's it's not you're not meet, doing a meet and greet in a bubble, right? You, there are factors. There are children running around. There are people mm-hmm. taking pictures. There are autographs being done, and they do teach you how to get out of it. But getting out of it assumes that all other factors are not involved Mm -hmm. right so if a man comes up and tries to grab you you would then offer your arm you would move you your attendant would say something but they don't tell you or there's really no way to teach you how to do that while you have two children talking to you and you're signing an autograph book while this person is doing this to you so it's there's a lot of extra factors that they don't they can't prepare you for even as much as they would want to um it's just really not possible as as a clinician i have to do this thing called informed consent where i have to know let my clients know what they're going to expect out of therapy even so much so that i will tell them that um you may not feel good right away in fact we're unpacking so much stuff you might feel worse um you might change and the people around you may not like it the, it it may not always be um, good. Do you feel like you got full informed consent on what what the interactions would be or what it would be like? No, um, they they did not. And I will say that back when I started, that was not a thing that people really discussed. Okay. I have since learned in my many years in therapy um, that a lot of a lot of things were um, really done that 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 could have uh, caused more issues than even just the job itself. So, for example, um, not only the informed consent, but uh, ongoing support from management just was not there. Some you would experience sexual assault and then largely either be blamed for it blamed for not controlling the interaction or um, told you still had to get back out there and complete your set or you would be receiving a discussion or reprimand. So there theoretically, even if there was not informed consent, there should have been systems in place to Mm -hmm. fix that. And there largely weren't. 
Do you see that changing now? Well, like, do you know people who are active characters now that have, you know, more preparation or more support from management? And I also do want to highlight that also it's kind of a society thing, right? Like here, I'm telling you that I need support because I've been assaulted and um, I'm not getting it. Well, I think that people take sexual assault more seriously now than they did. Um, okay. So I will say that. But I, I think that the rise of character vlogging and character interactions on social media has actually made the problem worse because it has um, caused a lot of um, internet personalities who don't know the characters really don't understand what their life is like um, to go and get sensationalized viral content um, from the character, which can cause a lot of mental distress and can cause potentially job loss. And management largely has not caught up with supporting the cast members in that way. Um, I get DMs from performers on a weekly basis saying that they are still getting discussions and reprimands for viral videos of them. Which is not within your control. Uh, and so do you think that former cast members like yourself um, advocating on behalf of the community, does that create some sort of change or pretty much upper management and higher ups are not looking at that stuff and probably don't care? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're looking at it, but what it has done, and I'm sure you've seen, I get a lot of flack for this. Um, it has made it much less socially acceptable. So yes. a lot of these vloggers will post a character video and people are now starting to, if not, uh, not watching the video, they're flooding the comments saying this is inappropriate. You should not be sharing this. But I was seeing some vloggers recently their character content is content is just not doing well like it's comparatively since you know in the last few months they have really kind of taken a nosedive in views and engagement and i hope that me speaking out is making it and, and others speaking out not just me mm -hmm. is making it less socially acceptable i'm i'm curious because uh, uh there's an intentionality to get views right um are there interactions that you just see with characters that people post where that isn't a objective and it happens to be a good interaction or is a general rule that if it's a video it's probably going to be scrutinized either way so kind of avoid that so it's a gray area and and my philosophy ariel is that if it's a gray area don't post it um that is just my because tiktok has made it so easy to go viral even if you're not intending to go viral Mm -hmm. And it is causing issues, but it's not people necessarily doing it on purpose because as you know, you know, as a, as a therapist and clinician intention does not is doesn't really matter because the implications are what matter. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the intention of the poster is not, the thing that I am concerned with, it's the implications of this yep, being posted. Yeah. So the implications, yep, intent, but impact, mm -hmm. right? So the impact is more people are going to performers trying to get viral content. They are yeah. posting characters more and more. They are bombarding them with cameras on a regular basis, yeah. which is Those stressful, which is mm -hmm. stressful for the performers it, as cute as it is. 
um, it can be very stressful to have a camera on you all day in addition to the job being as difficult as it is. I mean, I can only imagine it's just like a different set of eyes and you never know where. And I feel like it almost infringes on your privacy almost. And even knowing that you are a performer, you are an entertainer, you are putting yourself out there, but you would think that there would be still a layer of protection. Um, I mean, I'm wondering, because during the pandemic, we saw a lot of the characters very far away. Um, they were like, you know, in the, like Winnie the Pooh was like in the forest or like in a clearing or things like that. Um, do you know of anybody who has played those characters very far away that do they like that a little bit better or do they kind of wish it like stayed that way or do they miss that face-to-face interaction? I do know a few people who have done that. Um, and I, I would say it's, it's it, on one hand, they do like the freedom of wandering and for knowing that they're not really going to be knocked over. They're not going to experience some of the, physical problems that come with interacting with guests. Um, I will say, though, that a big part of the enjoyment for the actual performer is interacting with children. It's fun for us at the end of the day, like all of the issues surrounding it are what they are. But at the end of the day, it's still fun for us. So I, I would say that they enjoying that they were enjoying that like new type of interaction, Mm -hmm. but I think some of them are anxious to get back to some modified form of meet and greet. I mean, I guess moving into sort of like the same topic. um, I know that you talked about weird Disney adults. I mean, like the super, super (laughs) fans Um, when, you know, somebody asked like, do you and your fellow characters go to the break room and be like, girl, I got to tell you about this, you know, person, that person or whatever. Because, <laughs> you know, in every job I've worked, you know, we do that. I mean, and as educators, we we do do that as well. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, do you have a memorable interaction with somebody who really loved you as a villain, who just like adored you and like kind of was just like in awe of you, like whether it was an adult or a child. And like, how did that make you feel knowing that, you know, you are playing a villain. And like you said, because you are a villain, you're automatically viewed as something. But did you get like the opposite effect at any point? So first, I want to, I want to, that's, that's got a couple levels. Let's start at the beginning. So um, I would not say that the Disney adults, even like the really fanatical ones, get talked about because characters are so preoccupied with talking about like the weird guests and i say that like like you've worked in a in a place where you've interacted with someone who just made it weird Uh um those are the things that we would talk about either are treating us strangely or just like those are the ones that we talk about but not necessarily in a malicious way just like hey did you see that like (laughs) like that kind of thing um the ones that get talked about in a malicious way are the ones who are either just mean or Mm -hmm. honestly a lot of the vloggers that are not very kind um they get talked about a lot um but on that so (laughs) second half of that yes so i will tell you quick story so when 
I uh, would often be at Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party. Um, mm -hmm. The Tremaines were a big part of that. Um, there was um, a family where the there was a mom and an aunt, 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 um, and they were dressed as the stepsisters. And they're like nine or 10 year olds. One of their daughters was yeah. dressed as Lady Tremaine. Now, she was not only dressed as Lady Tremaine, she was in her blue dress that she wears to the ball. So if you go back, watch the movie, it's like that bluish gray dress that she wears to the ball. Deep cut. She had her hair slicked back and rolled up uh, like in those, those um, victory rolls and a bun in yeah. the back and had her hair sprayed gray. And she had a stuffed Lucifer with her. Um, oh and she goodness. was fully made up, like, looks like a little baby drag queen. It was super cute. <laughs> and um, I still have a picture with them, actually. Uh, I have it. It's great. Um, but so that interaction was fantastic because the mom and the aunt who were um, the stepsisters, they just like so leaned into the stepsister vibe. Yes, I love it. And the little girl did not know what to say what to say to me. <laughs> like she was just like, okay, I'm gonna take a picture now. I'm gonna hold this cat. She did not know what to say to me. But the mom and the aunt were having so much fun that it just like it just took it to another level. Um, I also loved for the not so scary when I would get a drag queen Lady Tremaine that would come see me. That happened a couple of times. Those were always the best because they always wanted to talk forever. So I was absolutely happy living in that space for sure. I, I love it when parents dress up their kids as you know these complex characters because I don't know <laughs> if they really fully understand like who they're playing and so when they meet that character they're just like they don't know what to do they don't know what to say and I see that a lot in cosplay conventions and you know comic mm -hmm. book conventions where mm -hmm. you know you have a kid in like the coolest costume ever but then it's like they're just hobbling and walking around like a little kid like normal so it's it's very interesting to see the different avenues and of course when adults around them hype them up it just creates that magic it's adorable it's it honestly is one of my best memories is all of those those fun ones kiddos <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know that for myself growing up, I wasn't the one to go up to a character. It was very hard for me to, you know, know what to ask. I, I, I wasn't one. I would take a picture with them, but I wouldn't like know how to interact. Um, would you use different strategies to help a kid kind of interact with you a little bit more if they were reluctant? Or was it just more so like, I'm not going to force this on a kid if they if they just don't want to engage? So... It's two-sided. I, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if a child was clearly uncomfortable, I did not want to interact, but then the parents would often force me to interact. Like they were not oh, okay. willing to accept like me walking away. Um, so I would often just start narrating, which um, I do with my son now who is autistic. And like, I would just essentially do some sort of like narration so i would like just talk and answer a question that i asked as if they had answered it so for example are you doing well are you having a wonderful day i'm having a wonderful day as well thank you so much for asking like i would just keep the conversation going as though they had answered okay. and 
I think it disarmed them a little bit because if they didn't feel like I was standing there waiting for an answer, they just were like, okay, like they just kind of dealt with it. Um, I also, I didn't speak very loudly as my character. The stepsisters have a harder time with that. But I um, I yeah. was already largely quiet. But the problem with Lady Tremaine is if she's too quiet, then she becomes terrifying. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I tried to that like... terrifying. <laughs> so if I wanted to be terrifying, I just stopped talking. That was like a thing. You just stop talking and people are terrified of you because there is nothing scarier than something that you see as scary that is not making noise or moving. That's a total mom move. That's a teacher move. And I was 21 years old. Like I was 20 <laughs> to 24. So like, I, you know, I was very young when I was doing it. Yeah. Actually, I did want to ask you about that. How was it playing a mother mm-hmm. um, with two adult children as the age that you were? Did you really have to like study a little bit or even pull from your own experiences? Um, because, you know, she's 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 a mom with a lot of baggage. <laughs> yeah. She's a mom, but she's not a mom. So she's a mom in the, the biological sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But she's not nurturing. So that was easy. She's not nurturing. She's not motherly in any of her interactions, really. Um, she's not patient. She's not kind. She's not compassionate. So she's not any of these things we associate with mothers. So honestly, her her short temper, her kind of um, stoic nature, mm-hmm. her sarcasm, her quick wit uh, are things actually associated with a lot of younger people a lot of times. Okay. And, and since I was a trained actor at the time, I just leaned into the funny parts of her. Um, I know I've talked about this before, but I played her almost like um, like Dorothy from Golden Girls or um, <laughs> or Jessica Walters' character in Arrested Development, uh, Lucille Bluth. Like I kind of played it like that, just like very like country club old lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like what I leaned into, if that makes sense. Huh. No, totally makes sense. Uh, I actually like Dorothy. <laughs> I do too. I vibe with her very well. But that's kind of like the character that I like leaned into. I, I think that's really important that you highlight the that she isn't the like the mother archetype. Because um, if we're talking about the mother archetype, we, that is usually seen as like this um, intrinsic feminine ancient energy of uh, safe space, nurturing and protection and creativity. And um, she she really wasn't those things. There was a, a lot of just um, uh, hardness. There was a lot of uh, what we would call the shadow part of that mother archetype, where um, there there isn't there isn't nurture, there isn't presence, uh, there isn't willing to um, problem solve, no collaboration. I will say that there is a certain part of her character though that I did find a lot of compassion for, and that is. Like, you have to imagine, they gloss over it in the films, but they you have to imagine a woman in France in that time period having lost two husbands within a few years, really. Um, her entire livelihood 
is based on being married to a person of wealth. She's lost her first husband who presumably she was very or closer with, right? Mm-hmm. Has two children had two children with. And her second husband, I know they touch on this in the live action film, was clearly a marriage for security and wealth and and yeah. things like that. Um which was common back then, but yeah. um you have to imagine the amount of fear, number one, that is instilled in a in a woman of that time period who is losing her ability to feed herself and her daughters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the reality that you may you may become destitute and, and not marry again. And so you your entire survival is wrapped up in your daughter's marrying someone mm-hmm. of that caliber. Yeah. So you can see mm-hmm. where her level of obsession grew at that yes. point. So that is yeah. essentially um, where I found a lot of compassion for her, because a lot of people are the victims of their own circumstances, you know, victims mm-hmm. of things that happen to them in their lives. And I think that that can be said for most Disney villains is they are all um the aftermath of a lot of negative happenings. Yeah, yeah. Aftermath of the patriarchy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. For sure. And, you know, all of those things are very important to consider. And I'm glad that, you know, you 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 do take time period into consideration, even though you're playing her in, in real life. You still have mm-hmm. to be consciously living in that time period when you do play her. Um, I know that one of the things that I... I was thinking about watching your your TikTok videos was when you were talking about the costumes and mm-hmm. how there were like the costumes of before <laughs> like when Disney first started like the really scary Mickey heads and you know the really like terrifying <laughs> like um Donald like uh, who would want to you know I mean ha- having a gown evolve even though it is set in a certain time period, mm-hmm. did they make adjustments to make it comfortable for you since you are working these crazy hours and in the heat and, you know, what the elements of Orlando? I mean, did you really have to think I need to play this, you know, French woman in, you know, the 1700s and kind of live with that? Or was there like a reprieve? <laughs> so honestly, the dress is very uncomfortable. It is very thick satin and it's long sleeved and it comes up to the neck and it goes down to the ankles. There was a hip cage element that is not film accurate um, that they added uh, just for silhouette reasons. Um okay. But I will say it did pull the bottom half of the dress away from your body, but you do have to wear all of the corresponding undergarments, bloomers, tights, and the like. Um, And it is Orlando, and um, it is often 95 degrees with 100% humidity, and you are doing parade route. But I will say that the discomfort of the costume and the makeup and the wig and everything else made it very easy to be unpleasant. <laughs> I would say the princesses probably have a harder time because they have yes. to be pleasant. I, I was able to lean into the time. Yeah, I was able to I, allow myself to be annoyed because clearly I was uncomfortable. Like, I mean, yes. you could like, I know that people listening can't see this, but I have a picture behind me of a painting somebody did of Lady Tremaine, of me as Lady Tremaine. And you can just see, if you go back and look at photos of me, um, 
on my Instagram, you'll see like the costume just looks unyielding and it is. Yeah. I mean, you had the RBF on and it was part of your character and it worked for you. And I I love that that was the silver lining because I feel for those princesses every single time. They are just standing and waving and pretending everything is great. But, ooh, that sweat, I cannot. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, I'm curious uh, for um, all the parks, is the training the same? Like even uh, just internationally, or is there a difference in the way that the um, cast members and particularly the characters are supposed to interact? Or is it very formulaic? Um, It is very different. So um, it's not like in the American parks, it's fairly similar because it's there's similar social norms in the U.S. Um, When you go to Hong Kong, Disneyland or Tokyo or Disneyland Paris, there are other social customs that they need to make you aware of. Now, I've not gone through the training myself, but I have heard about it secondhand. They do have to talk about certain things that are considered inappropriate in those countries. Um, Like, you know, like uh, in some countries, like a peace sign is inappropriate, depending on how you have it. You know what I mean? There's like a lot of local social and cultural things that you have to learn. Steph, when you went international, did you notice a difference? I mean, I remember them not being around so much when I was in Tokyo um, and in Paris. But at the same time, I always traveled there in the winter. So I could only imagine how difficult it would be to be standing out there in like almost snowy weather and, you know, being in character. But I mean, I did appreciate that when I did see them like in a parade or something, they would be, you know, fully robed up. And, you know, Jasmine wasn't looking like Jasmine. She had like a full like (laughs) coat on and it was nice. But um, I think that was the reason why I didn't interact with those characters because I was in another country. So I wasn't exactly sure what to expect for myself. And the mm-hmm. language barrier was mm-hmm. kind of like, I, I couldn't put myself in, you know, Disneyland mode here because we have customs and norms that are okay and we can, you know, strike up a conversation. I didn't know if that was okay over there. So I never really went to venture. But if I ever go back there, I'll definitely see if, you know, they're there is a difference because I know that a lot of cast members here do travel over there mm-hmm. to to get work, especially if they have the right look. I I know, Jessica, you mentioned earlier a little bit that, um, uh, that you're in therapy, that you are working and processing through some of your experiences. Um, I'm curious if you want to share a little bit about your mental health history and what you would um, want to say to like the audience members, especially people in the entertainment industry. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very open, even on my TikTok, about um, the mental health implications of my time in entertainment. Um, And uh, I like to take the experiences that I've had and try and educate, you know, people coming up in the industry now, especially my students. Um, I was diagnosed with body dysmorphia, and I also have uh, PTSD. Um, and my body dysmorphia is associated with my time, not only at Disney, but my time as a dancer. So growing up in a lot of dance, a lot of, uh, physical scrutiny, essentially my, um, my image of my body and the way that I look not matching up with, with reality, which is hard because when you are in an industry that's constantly asking you to lose or gain or Uh do this or do that, it's very, very hard, um, 
And so, so that has been uh, quite a difficult journey. But um, I will say that the PTSD part is directly from my time at the parks. Mm-hmm. It, it does surround. Um, I've had some claustrophobia that's that's stemmed from that in large mm-hmm. crowds um, because there is a lot of unconsented grabbing. Um, from guests uh, that is largely uncontrolled. And like I said, the management is not really super supportive if you do say, hey, this happened to me. So a lot of times you just internalize it and it's now become, I have a lot of very um, crazy physical triggers. Um, uh, And and it kind of can come out of nowhere. Um, Mm -hmm. It it doesn't come out of nowhere, but it feels like it comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that I try to talk about. People um, largely uh, trolls in my comment section are like, well, you, if you can't handle it, you should never have the job. Well, no, mm-hmm. that's not how that works. Really, the job should be a healthy job. Mm-hmm. And people shouldn't have to expect to experience trauma or um mental illness or eating disorders from a job Um, because and largely these people who are saying these things have no idea what it's like to be in the industry they don't have they've never grown up in that they don't know what it takes to be a performer all of the scrutiny all of the auditions all of the rejection so it's very easy to um, speak from the other side of your keyboard but in reality Uh there is a lot of mental health damage that stems directly from the unhealthy processes that they do have set up there and they still have to this day. Um, And I really feel like there is a lot of room for growth. And I hope that, you know, one of my suggestions or my videos reaches Disney and they begin to really take it seriously and say, Hey, maybe we need to look at ourselves. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious for for the benefits where there's there like an employee assistance program where you got access to like a therapist or um, anything like that, that, you know, might've been implemented now. Um, they had insurance for part-time and full-time cast members, but uh, at the time, largely a lot of us were seasonal um, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't have access to that. I think that it would be great if they had therapists they have physical therapists available for all performers um throughout the day but they do not have um they do not have anybody for mental health which i think would really be a huge deal on days when when really traumatic events happen that's a job i need to make we'll just pin that write that one down oh yeah put it on the vision board yeah i it makes me think of when of um sports psychologists who are accessible to the um uh yeah i was gonna say the sporters athletes they are <laughs> they close athletes. enough to the to the athletes um and like <laughs> i follow uh she is the sports psychologist for like cirque du soleil and um really talking about the experience of uh being a performer of when you've injured yourself and what that could mean for your career um having uh to talk about dynamics between um performers between like team members and groups and it has really made um longevity in the career for some of the performers that um previously didn't have access to that yeah absolutely um i think that uh people don't see actors and dancers in the same light that they see acrobats and Mm -hmm. football players and the like. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I'm hoping that we're moving towards better mental health in the theater community. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, it's hard because people in the theater community are great actors. So you don't always know when there's a problem. It's not clear. So good point, (laughs) which, uh, you know, Ariel, you probably know it's sometimes hard to, to pull out honest and genuine uh, statements from somebody who's an actor because they are, inclined to put on a performance mm-hmm. um and it's and it's hard for for us to let our guard down and just yep. be um be authentically ourselves yeah this is where there's a difference between individual change and systemic change because individually if you there's a fear that if they put that guard down i'm still stepping into the same environment um but now am i gonna is it gonna be harder for me to put it back up it's just a lot easier to keep it exactly that's something that naturally comes after a while So Mm -hmm. it's like your go-to, but I mean, I think you're doing a great job. You're reaching so many people (laughs) and, you know, these stories are, you know, absolutely essential for, you know, past members, past, you know, even just Disney goers in general and, you know, looking into the future and Mm -hmm. seeing the ways that we now interact as adults and how we're interacting with our children Mm -hmm. and, you know, the different perspectives that we never really thought of before coming to light so that we're a little more mindful when we are, you know, trying to enjoy ourselves because us enjoying ourselves may not be enjoyable for somebody else. And Mm -hmm. it comes sometimes at the expense of not just your wallet, but also, you know, people and, you know, their experiences. I think the whole you know, well-roundedness of participating in something like that is, I feel, essential for anybody who is putting themselves in that environment on either Mm -hmm. side. So the information out there is just, you know, so invaluable to have. It's just, you cannot replace those things. Like, you cannot make this ish up. So, you know, it's, it's good to open your eyes and listen. And, you know, it totally gives me a different perspective and I'm actually going to be visiting Disney World in about a month or two Mm -hmm. so it's been quite a while and now I'm visiting with my son who before I did not have a child (laughs) in tow so we'll see how that goes um definitely less drinking at Epcot that's the only thing on my mind (laughs) yeah um I've been there I have two children so I completely understand any uh, any do's and don'ts you want to give uh, Steph uh, for her experience with her little one in tow? Um, give him a lot of breaks. Um, and that is not just for you, but that is a thing that I've noticed is a problem with a lot of people who come to mm-hmm. Disney and, and Universal and, and really all yeah. the parks is that they they don't allow themselves any room to breathe. And mm-hmm. it's because they've spent so much money and because it is... They want to do everything. And I get that. Make it worth them the dollar. <laughs> I get that. However, when your child at three o'clock in the afternoon is having a gigantic meltdown because they haven't had a break yeah. without any stimulation or without too much stimulation, it is a nightmare because mm-hmm. then you can't bring them back. Then you can't do anything else because then yeah. they're done for the day. Um, yeah. So my best suggestion is the hottest part of the day go somewhere else, either go back to your resort, <laughs> get a late lunch, like a yeah. three o'clock lunch. And I say that because I have been that parent who's wanted to do a full day and it never works out, especially with young children. Mm-hmm. Um, just give them the space 
to recover because they are experiencing so much sensory wise the sounds, the sights, the uh, people, like it's just a lot for them mm-hmm. and they get overloaded super easily. So yeah, that sure. would be my suggestion. Thank you. I think that's something to keep in mind because we're coming from just two parks here across the way <laughs> to like five parks <laughs> and you got to take a bus in between all of them or driver. Or- Honestly, I can't speak highly enough of resort hopping for your break. So you don't have to do the same one every day, but if you just go and you sit at the Polynesian in the lobby or whatever, that one's my favorite, so I'm partial. (laughs) mine too. Or if you go to the Grand Floridian and you listen to the the pianist or um, you just kind of walk around and do something a lot more low key, like it's, it's a great option. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to take that to heart all the way. (laughs) And I'm so excited now with this new perspective on, you know, just I feel like the differences between Disneyland and Disney World really are not that much. It's just the perspectives are so much different when you're looking at it on a grand scale. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. being an avid Disneyland goer and I always have a different experience when I go to Disney World and, you know, it's just given a lot of different um just different points points of view and things to consider every time Mm -hmm. i go there it'll Mm -hmm. you know now having this perspective will definitely help make you know my experience and hopefully the experiences of the cast members who are working so so hard to keep the parks open and also have their own jobs so audience members if you have uh learned anything today please dm us at g at uh, Happiest Pod GT. <laughs> what Steph said at Happiest Pod GT or um, tweet at us at Happiest Pod GT. Uh, please, please uh, follow uh, Jessica on TikTok for Tremaine Talk, on Instagram, Tremaine Talk Jessica, uh, or YouTube, Tremaine Talk, uh, in order to learn more on how to interact with cast members and how to be an advocate for their mental health and wellness. Um, Jessica, is there anything else you want to add before we end? No, that's it. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure. And yeah, I'm excited to hear the episode when it comes out. Yay. We love having you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.